It's Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. It's Purim, and Israel remains under existential threat. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Well, it is Purim, Chag Sameach, Happy Holiday. It is Purim on the calendar these days. Welcome to Thoroughly Jewish Thursday on the Line of Fire. Michael Brown, delighted to be with you. 866-34-TRUTH, 866-348-7884. Any Jewish-related question of any kind, phone lines are open. Hebrew-related, Messianic prophecy-related, specific Old Testament-related, about Israel today. Any questions that are Jewish-related, they are kosher on Thirdly Jewish Thursday, 866-348-7884. I want to talk about Purim. I want to talk about what's happening in Israel even now. But before we get into any of that, a few points of interest. One, I should have been in flight to Nigeria now or just arriving in Nigeria for important ministry there this weekend at a major conference hosted by the largest seminary in the country, but my visa did not come through on time. In fact, I still don't know if it was approved at all, but we're working out ways for me to communicate via Skype. I'll get up at some unusual hours to do it, but that means we're here live today instead of being pre-recorded. So phone lines are open. That's one thing. Second thing is you may have followed on the line of fire where I took very strong issue with Rick Wiles statements that he made on True News about Israel and about Jews owning the White House, etc. And we challenged those views on the air. We put it on YouTube. We tweeted it out and then said, hey, let's have formal, respectful debate about this. So Rick's folks got back to us immediately. They said, hey, come on the show. Come down to Vero Beach, Florida. We got great coffee here. I'm not a coffee drinker anyway, but very gracious saying, hey, come on, join Rick on the air. And, and we can do a TV show. So we got back to him and said, hey, wonderful. I'll do that as long as he'll come on my radio show. This way it's fair. I'm, I'm on his turf. He's on my turf. You know, he controls the mic. I control the mic. If you don't want to do that, then let's just have a formal moderated debate. So we're still waiting to hear back from them as to whether they have, we, we followed through again. We're still waiting to hear back as to whether that's accepted. So with joy, I'll go on his show and challenge what I believe is wrong and anti-Semitic comments and biases, as long as they'll come on my show, because we both have these networks, right? Let's let's both do it in a, in a respectful way, have our differences air them out. And if that's declined, then let's do a, a formal moderated debate where each side gets equal time and each side can cross-examine the other side, etc. Okay. Also, uh, just before the show today, so ending about a little over an hour ago, I was on for one hour with a liberal atheist pro LGBTQ activist host on her show talking about censorship, talking about bias in the media, talking about these various issues. And boy, are we poles apart and boy, are we both committed to having civil discussion about it. So hopefully we'll be putting up a link to that. Once it's, it's archived online, we'll put up a link for that. And then lastly, On yesterday's radio show, a 
a caller said to me that that uh, I'm I'm clearly wrong about my views concerning a rapture and second coming. Uh, again, if you don't have this yet, let me just grab our book. It came out two days ago, already 15 reviews on Amazon. It's now the number two best-selling book on Amazon and Christian Prophecy, only behind David Jeremiah's brand-new book, Ours, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, Craig Keener, and yours truly, Not Afraid of the Antichrist, While We Do Not Believe in a Pre-Tribulation Rapture. A caller pressed me on this yesterday and said, if you're right, if you're right, that means... That means that there's no imminency. And the New Testament consistently teaches imminency, meaning Jesus could come at any moment. And I said, well, it doesn't teach that. It tells us there will be signs of his coming. We should live in readiness and anticipation. We shouldn't get profligate and worldly and say, well, the Lord's not going to come for a long time and he's delaying his coming. No, we should live with earnestness and readiness, but we'll know the times and the seasons. We just won't know the day or the hour. There are signs that will precede his return. Uh, so I was very clear about that and said that in that sense, the New Testament does not teach imminency. Now, that opens up a larger debate. So I want to get right back to that today, even though it's Thursday, Jewish Thursday. I want to get right back to that. Imminency can be defined in different ways. You can say that we support imminency, but not any moment. I do not believe that anywhere in the New Testament, the any moment rapture is taught. I do not believe that's taught anywhere in the New Testament. And there are thief in the night passages that clearly are, are speaking about public events with warning leading up to them. But putting that aside, I do believe in imminency in terms of at the door, in terms of live with readiness, in, in terms of that you can't say, well, it's going to be 11 years and six months, that, that there could be a radical sudden turn of events and the Lord's coming could be right at the door. So if you define imminency as at the door, I believe in that. If you define imminency as could be any moment without signs, I don't believe in that. So I just want to clarify that because some of it is actually semantics. It's a matter of how we define the terms. As the caller was using imminency, which is a very common way, he used it in a very fair way, any moment, no, I don't agree with that. Imminence, as others have also used it fairly, is something very different. Okay, before we go to the calls, 866-34-TRUTH, let me start here. It is more than ironic to see that in the days of Purim, described in the book of Esther, Haman, in the Persian Empire, wanted to not only destroy Mordecai, but to annihilate and eliminate all Jews throughout the Persian Empire. And of course, God exposed his plot. God turned it around and God intervened. Praise God for his faithfulness and grace and mercy. And he's not mentioned by name anywhere in the book of Esther. And yet he is there hidden, working supernaturally behind the scenes. That's how it is in life. He's not out there in a manifest open way, but working supernaturally in a way that becomes open and manifests through the results of what he does. So it's ironic, beyond ironic, that in, in those days, 2,500 years ago, Israel faces an existential threat from Iran, Persia. And today, Israel faces an existential threat from Iran, Persia. So a number of things have happened in recent days. Bombs hitting Tel Aviv, all right? Sirens going off, 
all over Tel Aviv with warnings. People just thought it was, it was like a dress rehearsal to practice because Tel Aviv doesn't get hit with bombs. Now, Iran is denying involvement in it. Others are denying involvement. Some, someone launched the rockets, all right? Then a terrorist attack. Oh, it's in the occupied territory, so that somehow justifies it. Israeli soldier attacked by a Palestinian, knifed. The soldier's able to get the, the man's gun, shoots, ends up with two Israelis killed. Ultimately, the Palestinian terrorist is caught. I, I just want you to see some headlines. My friend Ron Cantor reports this. Terror attack claims two Israeli lives. Terrorists killed in gunfights. So Israel subsequently tracks the guy down and kills him. Palestinians rejoice. Palestinians rejoice. There's actually a video clip where you can see Palestinians handing out sweets as people are driving by. They're handing them out. No, it's not everybody dancing in the streets, but there is celebration because of the killing of a of an Israeli soldier and another Israeli. This is a cause for rejoicing. Here is another headline from United with Israel. Fatah honors terrorist who killed father of 12 and IDF soldier. This is something that the Palestinian Authority and Fatah have consistently done when there is a terrorist They glorify the terrorist as a martyr. They celebrate the terrorist. The family gets a life pension because of what the terrorist has done. He becomes a hero. And yes, a Shahid, a martyr. What he's done is considered part of the holy war against the occupier. Again, Fatah honors terrorist who killed father of 12, an IDF soldier. He has been called a heroic martyr deserving of a military salute. And then on camera, which is the Committee for Accuracy in Middle East Reporting in America, there's an op-ed. The Palestinian Authority has chosen terrorism over U.S. foreign aid. The article starts when someone says it's not about the money. The satirist H.L. Mencken famously said it's about money. If the recent decision by the Palestinian Authority to refuse U.S. aid is about more than money, It's about the refusal by the PA to be held accountable for the acts of terrorism that the West Bank ruling entity endorses. In other words, America said to the Palestinian Authority, not Hamas, right? The Palestinian Authority, that's supposed to be the the peace partner. That's supposed to be the moderate. And they are more moderate than Hamas, but still militantly anti-Israel in fundamental ways. So America says, Donald Trump says, you're not getting our aid if you're going to support terrorists. If you're going to to keep on salary, Palestinian terrorists who are in Israeli jails for terrorist acts, not wrongly accused, not falsely accused, but for terrorist acts, you are going to give them a salary. And the families of Palestinians who are killed while killing Israelis, suicide bombers, or others who were killed after killing Israelis has happened with the recent terrorists, you're going to give that family a pension. We're not going to give you money. The Palestinian Authority says, fine, we don't want your money. Ah, in other words, more important than we support terror than we have American aid. And then headline from the Jerusalem Post says this, Jewish millennials to Netanyahu, support for Israel is eroding. Act now. Some of your government's policies both strain our connection to the Jewish state and hamper our ability to advocate for Israel's well-being. Well-being so... They're claiming that that Israel is too far to the right, that 
Israel's settlement policy is, is not conducive to peace, that Israel's not treating the Palestinians fairly. And because of that, Jewish millennials in America are not really standing with Israel so much. So Netanyahu needs to do something to improve and fix relations and fix some of these wrong policies. It's coming from every angle. It's coming from every angle. The existential threat to Israel remains a current reality. But God, the God of the book of Esther, is the God of Israel and the God of history today. Israel would have perished, but God. That remains true to this hour. All right, we'll be right back and we'll go to the phones on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. The Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends. Yes, Purim. This is a festive time in Jewish tradition. Uh, not a time of mourning and groveling, but a time of celebrating God's victory because there's there's always a Haman, whether it's a Hitler or a Stalin or a Khomeini or a Hamas terrorist, there's always a Haman wanting to annihilate the Jews and God is faithful to preserve us, not because of our goodness, but because of his goodness. By the way, if you hold to a pre-trib rapture, which you may have based on your own study of scripture, it, it, it creates a scenario where the church is feasting in heaven as millions of Jews are slaughtered on the earth. I, I don't see that in scripture. I see us all together here right until the end. Many of us will die for our faith. Others will be supernaturally preserved in the midst of all kinds of hellish attack. God's wrath will be poured out on the ungodly. The godly will be protected from his wrath. But as all hell is broken loose against God's people many times in history to this hour around the world, it will happen again. But I believe we will be here, God's people, right until Jesus appears in the clouds. That's what Professor Craig Keener and I lay out in our book, Not Afraid of the Antichrist. But we do it having fine friends who believe in a pre-trib rapture, knowing fellow professors and scholars who believe in a pre-trib rapture. There's no disparagement. There's simply differences. And that's what we ask for, a civil, honest, open discussion. Some people believe whatever their particular view of the end times is, they believe that's the only view, and that's the only view that anyone's ever believed. So it's, it's good to explore other beliefs about the end times and then to reexamine your own, wherever you're coming from, to see what Scripture actually teaches. All right, it is Thoroughly Jewish Thursday, which means your Jewish-related calls, 866-348-7884. Let's go to Lee in Virginia Beach. Thanks for calling the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thank you very much for taking my call. Uh, I'm a Messianic Jew and uh, a relatively uh, recent believer. And I just really want to thank you for your book, uh, The Real Kosher Jesus. Um, Well, you're very welcome. Quite a bit. Excellent. Excellent. um, my question for you is, 
in Genesis 22:8, um, the the Hebrew word yireh, and the that name of God that's often translated as God the provider. But uh, I was reading uh, the Pentateuch uh, that I got is from Bar Mitzvah, and I noticed that the English translation of verse 8 says that God will provide himself with a capital H, the Lamb. And I'm wondering if that could be translated, God foresees himself the Lamb when he stays the execution of Isaac, the sacrifice uh, of Isaac. Yeah, Lee, the, the Hebrew doesn't work like that, but that's a great, great question. So let me break this down. Many people are familiar with the term Jehovah Jireh. There are even songs, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. So it's, it's based on the Hebrew Yahweh or Adonai Yireh. So instead of Jireh in Hebrew, Yireh, which literally means he will see, okay? And here in Genesis 22, 8, when, when Abraham is, is asked by Isaac about, you know, okay, we got the wood, we got the fire, where's the, where's the lamb? Where's the sacrificial animal? Not knowing that he's about to be sacrificed. But Yomar Avraham, Elohim yir Elohaseh. So Abraham says, God will see to it or see, see it for himself. Um, that there will be a lamb for slaughter. Uh, so that's Abraham's answer. And it's not that God will see himself as the lamb, but God will see to it. Yer elo just means he will see to it. So uh, God will see to the sheep for his burnt offering, or he will personally see to it. That's all it means. It, it doesn't mean that God will be the lamb, although here is, as we look at it, in larger context, what happened? There was a ram, not a lamb. So it's always fair to go back and say, what, what happened to the lamb? I thought there was going to be a lamb. And that Isaac typifying the, the father's willingness to give up the son and the son being willing to lay his life down. Now that typifies Jesus as the lamb. But no, the Hebrew cannot mean that, that God will see himself as the land that would, that would be reading too much into it, but I do appreciate the question, Lee. Well, in your, in your book, you talk about, uh, how the Talmud, uh, talks about, uh, Isaac and the sacrifice of Isaac, that Isaac w was older than you said, like in the, in his third, 37, yeah, 37 years old, according to Jewish tradition. Yeah. And he was willingly going to yes. The sacrifice. Yes. Yeah, so in Jewish tradition, Lee, uh, Isaac becomes the hero of the story even more than Abraham. Uh, Abraham's act of faith is important, but Isaac is seen as willingly going to the place of sacrifice. Uh, even one later midrash, a homiletical comment says it's like the man carrying a crossbeam on his shoulders. You know, going willingly to the well, no choice there, but going to the place of death. That's how Isaac is depicted. But of course, Isaac never dies. He doesn't shed his blood. He is delivered from death, whereas the Messiah actually does die. So yes, the prefiguring is absolutely there. It's just the translation of the verse. Uh, you, you went one step further than you could, but for sure the prefiguring is absolutely there. 
and the significance of the lamb. Where, where's the lamb? What happened to the lamb? Very big, very big. Thank you, Lee. And so glad our book was a blessing to you. So glad to have you as a fellow Messianic Jew. However, we can be of help in the future. Don't hesitate to ask us. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Chad in Colorado Springs. Welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. So I want to ask you about the use of the word, the Aramaic word, Salem, in Daniel 319. Uh, Okay. In Daniel 2 and 3, Salem appears about 17 times. Every time, except for one, it refers to the statue, either in Nebuchadnezzar's uh, dream or the statue that he made on the plain of Dura. With me so far? Yep. Now, in verse 19, it says, Utlaim Antohi, the selim of his face. The King James says the form of his visage. The ESV says the expression on his face. But I wonder, is it legitimate to think that since the word selim has been used 17 times up to here referring to uh, an idol, why do we shift? and make it about the expression of his faith. Is a literal translation appropriate? Could it be that Daniel says that the statue changed, the idol of his face changed? Ah, okay. All right, so so first, I'm, I'm just looking at the data here. The So the, the Aramaic Salem, which is the equivalent of Hebrew Selam, meaning image, like in Genesis 120, in the first chapter of Genesis, where God says, let's make man in our image, according to our likeness, so it's Betsalmeno in Art Selim. So here it's the Aramaic Selim, right? So I'm looking uh, in my concordance here, and each reference is to, is to that image. The, the reason that there's a shift, and, and I'll, tell you, I'll tell you the significance of it, okay? <clears throat> that it is the, the Selim of his face, all right? In, in, in other words, it's it's not the face of the Salem, it's the Salem of his face, it's the image of his face. And I believe it's a play on words here. What you caught is that it's used over and over and over and over for the actual image, and now it's like a play on words jumping to, to the king and his face. You'd if, if it was the image change, you would want to say the appearance of the image change. But here because Salem is in, is in construct with Anpohi. So it is the, the Salem of his face. It has to mean the appearance of his face, the form of his face, as opposed to the physical idol that actually changed. And it's, it's being used in context in a clear play on words as to what's been happening. Uh, Do you follow grammatically what my point was? Yes, I did, Dr. Brown. Thank you. Uh, and all of the Bible translators agree with you. And, I needed an Aramaic scholar to talk me down off the ledge because in Revelation 12, you'll recall, I don't have the verse in front of me, but you'll recall that the second beast uh, is said to, to make an image. That's Greek. It's not Aramaic, but make an image of the first beast and everyone had to worship it. And then he gave breath to it that it might be able to speak. And anyone who didn't worship. Got it. Right. So, so looking for a change in the actual. Yeah, so the image yeah, becomes yeah. animated and acts and responds, and that could be like the sign, like like the you know the weeping Mary icons and different forms right. of you know Russian or Greek Orthodoxy that look the image is actually act. Yeah, so Chad, I love the process of thinking. That's number one. You know, to say something actually happened to the image. That's one. 
And then two, to, to note the use of the Aramaic there, uh, excellent. And then to raise the question, it just doesn't work. And because you're keen enough on this, the moment I explained it, you, you see why it, it doesn't work. And it's not even Aramaic scholar, just as much as the basic syntax and, uh, and, and the grammar there, which you're able to grasp. But thank you. Wonderful question. Much appreciated. And yeah, I'm expecting all kinds of crazy counterfeit signs, wonders, like those very things in the future. All right, friends, we got a phone line or two open if you want to try to get in. We come back, we'll go straight to Israel. Amichai in Israel, you are next. And then we want to get to Bryson, Brian, and others. But we're going to the land, straight to Israel. So Amichai, stay there, Bavakasha. We'll talk momentarily. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Welcome, welcome to the Line of Fire on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. 866-34-TRUTH. Chag Sameach as Purim is being celebrated 866-348-7884, any Jewish-related call. Phone lines are open. Uh, let's go to Israel. Amichai, welcome to the Line of Fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you, sir. Sorry for me. I'm being English because I'm not uh, an American Jew or, uh, or something like this. I'm just, uh, let's just call it Sephardi Jew. Okay. Wonderful. Mitzian. Toda. Yes, my question is. Uh, I think it's a little. It's a simple question. When you read the Isaiah fifty-three, you said that Israel is the one that uh, said that they had mistake for rejecting the Messiah. Yes, sir. But when, if you read the other chapters in the Bible, where do you see another chapter that the Messiah is coming according to you, the second coming, and Israel saw that it was, that Jesus is the Messiah and said, "Oh, we are." We did the uh, wrong. We have a mistake. We, our father lied to us. You understand what I'm trying to say? Sure, surely. Okay, so, uh, and Amichai, so you're a Sephardic Jew. Are, are, are you Dati or Haredi? Are you religious Jew? Yes, I'm a religious, not Orthodox, not Haredi. Okay, so, all right. And, and how do you come to, to be listening to the broadcast? Just uh, I uh, have uh, some argument with these Jewish missionaries in Israel, and one of them uh, uh, urged me to call your uh, show to ask you questions because he, I don't know why, but uh, okay, because he, uh, he, he didn't answer me as uh, as I wanted him to ask him to answer, and he say and told me to call your show. Sure. Okay. Well. Well. Excellent. I'm I'm so glad you you did, and I I appreciate that. Uh, let let me answer on, on a on a few different levels, okay? One is in in Zechariah, 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 the twelfth chapter, where it talks about the final war and the nations gathering against Jerusalem, and then God fighting for our people, 
And then it says in, in chapter 12, verse 10, So they will look to me whom they've pierced and mourn for him. And then it goes on, the end of the chapter, deep mourning among all the people. And then the 13th chapter begins that God will open up a fountain for cleansing of our impurity. And the Talmud discusses what it means. There's one tradition in, in Sukkah, one tradition that says they're mourning because they, they saw the evil inclination, Yetzer Hara, and it should have been so easy to defeat, yet they were defeated by it. Others say they're, they're mourning because of Mashiach ben Yosef, who dies in the final battle. Uh, 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 Moshe Alshech says, uh, Rabbi Moshe Alshech says that the death of Mashiach ben Yosef is a perfect atonement for Israel. I say they're mourning because they're looking to the one they pierced. They, they recognize that they missed the Messiah. They, they, they missed him when they came. And now there's great mourning and repentance among the people, and they're looking to the one that they pierced. So I look at that as, as one major passage. I also look at the words of the Eved, uh, in, in Isaiah, the 49th chapter, when he says that he's labored in vain to regather his own people, um, that, that he, he says, Vani amarti l'rik yagati, kochi chiliti. So I, I've, I've labored, I've spent my strength for nothing trying to regather my people. And that's when God says, no, no, not only Will you succeed in regathering Israel, but you'll also be an Orle Goyim, a light to the nations. So there I, I see another example. And then through our history, I mean, no law, no, no sooner does God give us Torah on Mount Sinai than, than we reject it and, and, and make a golden calf and end up suffering for that. We reject the prophets like Jeremiah. Our tradition says we killed Isaiah. So we've often rejected the prophets. Sorry, but I don't think in the, in the golden calf we rejected God. Which, uh, the people of Israel thought that uh, Moses is died, and they need the. Uh, I think they said to themselves, we, we cannot see God, so we need somebody, something to, be, to connect us to God, something that we can uh, physically see. And the golden calf was uh, the replacement for Moses, not for uh, God. Well, but the the point the point is though that we constantly rejected the. Well, let me ask this: Do you agree that we often rejected the prophets in our history? Yes, if we would reject them, so the temple wouldn't be uh, destroyed. Right, right. Oh, okay. And and so, would you agree that the first temple was destroyed because of idolatry and murder and sexual immorality? And, and that lasted for a few hundred years. But now the second temple has been destroyed almost 2,000 years because of Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred. Would you agree with that? Yes. All right, so could it be our baseless hatred of Mashiach? Have you ever considered that? In, in, in other words, that what sin is so great that the temple's still been destroyed 2,000 years later? And what sin is it that we're still committing that has caused the suffering to last so long? Could it be Sinat Chinam, baseless hatred in rejecting the Messiah and giving him over to be crucified? Have you ever considered that? Uh, no. No. 
You think you might consider that? Might you consider that? I need to read more with the, inside the Bible, see if there's something that in the Hebrew Bible that can support it. Right, right. Okay, so... All right, so number one, I showed you in Isaiah 49 where the Evet of the Lord seems to have failed in his mission to regather Israel, but God says you'll ultimately succeed and be a light to the nations. And and then the end of 5213, so the sermon will be highly exalted. So many were, were startled because of terrible suffering first. And then the nations, the kings will be startled. And now we begin Isaiah 53, so who's believed our report? You would say that's the report of the kings of the nations that they rejected Israel and that they thought Israel yeah. in exile was suffering for, for its sins, but instead Israel was suffering because of the sins of the nations. I say it can't refer to Israel because we are in exile because of our sins. The whole reason we were sent into exile was yeah. because of our I, sins. I think, so, yeah, go ahead, I sir. Of, that it is not, it's not about the old nation of Israel. Benny Madoff is not one of the people that they think is a part of uh, the, the righteous Israel. I think Isaiah 53 is about the righteous of Israel, the remnant, the one from Israel that's keeping the God commandments all over the history, and they would punish, not, they didn't sin to God, but yet they was punished and smicked, was, uh, was okay. uh, smicked uh, all right, God so, in Right, so that's a better argument. In other words, I, I agree that it can't be the nation as a whole. So maybe it's the, the righteous remnant. Maybe it's your point, which is how many of the Mepharshi and many of the rabbinic commentators understand it. So let's, let's dig a little deeper, all right? According to okay. you, the kings of the nations are saying this, all right? So surely this righteous remnant has carried our sicknesses and borne our pains. And, and we, the kings of the, of the world that punished Israel, we thought that the righteous remnant was being smitten by God and suffering for its own sins. And now the kings, according to your interpretation, are saying, But he was pierced for our transgressions, crushed because of our iniquities, the punishment that brought us peace is upon him, and at the cost of his wounds were healed. I say it can't refer to the righteous remnant because when the nations mistreated Israel, God destroyed them. He destroyed Assyria. He destroyed Babylon. He destroyed the nations that mistreated Israel and the righteous remnant. But here the kings are saying that we received healing and it brought us shalom. It brought us peace. So I say it can't refer to the righteous remnant either. It must be Israel speaking about rejecting the Messiah. But maybe the one in the nation is speaking of the nation that will be saved in the end of days, in the other times. And there is that the only way they, they would be saved is because they will save is because uh, the suffering of the righteous remnant of Israel. Not about all the nations, only the nations that will be in the end uh, be saved. Ah, so basically you're preaching the gospel to me, but you just changed it from the righteous remnant to from the Messiah to the righteous remnant. In other, in other words, what you're saying is it hasn't happened in, in history. Through history, when the nations of the earth mistreated Israel and the righteous remnant, 
that they were punished. But in the future, the suffering of the righteous remnant will bring salvation to the nations. That sounds like the gospel. That's what we believe through the suffering of the Messiah. Salvation comes to the nations. And, and we see earlier in Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 49 that this servant will be a light to the nations. Doesn't it make sense that it's the same one, that it's the same Mashiach that's described earlier that will be a light to the nations, that it's the same one here that will be a light to the nations? Doesn't that make sense? I, because God told us that we will be a light to the nations. So we failed in the past. But in the future, the remnant of Israel will be light of the nations, and we will be a kingdom of uh, priests and holy nations. Will we, will we do it without the Messiah or through the Messiah? Without the Messiah. Without? The Messiah the, only comes. So we'll do it the without the Messiah. The, the Messiah will be only our... our uh, God... Uh, I'll just say, the one that God will send to save Israel from uh, our enemies and uh, and for all, and uh, we'll build the second temple, the third temple. I tell, tell you what, can, can, you, can, can you hold on one more moment so we can finish this discussion? Are you able to do that, sir? Just, yes, just, but not so oh, okay. Because, uh, all right, yeah, just, just give me a couple more minutes. We've got a short break, but here's my question for you. Can you show me anywhere in the scriptures where the suffering of the righteous remnant brings salvation to the nations? Because I can show you how the Messiah is prefigured and the Messiah's sufferings bring deliverance to the nations. So you wanted scripture for me. Can you give me scripture? Think about it, okay? It's The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks for joining us on Thoroughly Jewish Thursday. Uh, Amichai, uh, thanks for holding on. I know it's late in Israel. Let, let me first say that I appreciate the logical give and take. In, in other words, I'm raising issues. You're responding fairly. So we're understanding each other, which is very positive. But you wanted me to show you scripture. Just two Jews is a different point of view. Stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, of course. Yes, a healthy machlokas. So my, my question is, you wanted scripture about Israel saying we, we rejected the Messiah, our fathers lied to us. And, you know, there are passages in the prophets where Israel says, you know, we, we you know, our fathers deceived us and misled us, etc., because of idolatry and things like that. In fact, if you go through Yermayahu, if you go through Jeremiah, you'll find that many of the references to the fathers are negative because Israel's recognizing they were misled by previous generations. But do you have any text within Scripture? I don't mean I don't mean Talmudic texts that say uh, yeah, the death of the righteous atones or things like that. But do you have Scripture within the Tanakh saying that the the suffering of the righteous remnant brings redemption to the world? I think there's something I need to check and find because not not in three or four minutes. Maybe next time I can call you and All right. I look in look in the Bible. Next time we can I can call you. And if I 
find something like this. All right, and and will will you just look back at at Isaiah fifty three? And I've tried to read it through your eyes many times. That's why I was giving what your interpretation would be. And you correctly said it has to be the righteous remnant. So, so I agree with that, with that statement. I just take it further. I say it's a righteous remnant of one. But see if you could step back and read Isaiah 53 and ask, okay, what if this was the prophet speaking on behalf of Israel? So at least you understand my point of view. And then God willing, uh, when I see Amichai from Israel, I will get to you as quickly as possible on a show. Is that good, sir? Yes, but just one little last thing about the book of Micah, chapter seven, fifteen. Yeah. To uh, in in the Jewish Bible, then. Yeah. Yeah. Because in the, the chapters and the verses, sometimes it's different between the Jewish and the Christian yeah, yeah. Bible, Jewish Bible. They, that uh, as the days, you know what I'm talking about. Yes. 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 Mm-hmm. I've got the passage in front of me. He made Eretz Mitzrayim, right? As as in the days when you came out of out of uh, the land of Egypt, I, I will show wonders, right? And the nations will see and will be ashamed. So you're you're saying at the end of the age, yes. God will do mighty things for Israel, and the nations will recognize we thought Israel was suffering for its sins, but instead, uh, God is delivering Israel and showing that He's really the God of Israel and He's the true God, and we were wrong. Yeah, so I, I definitely understand that. Again, you're saying it, it only really applies to Isaiah 53 to the righteous remnant, which qualifies that sum, and it doesn't really work in history because God destroyed those nations that sinned against the righteous remnant. But in the future, nations will say we were saved by it. So that's that's what I want you to try to find scripture that supports that view that the suffering of the righteous remnant brings salvation to the nations because that's our whole gospel message, the Bissarah, the good news, that the suffering of Messiah brings redemption for Israel and the nations. So we're, we're, we're close, but we're far apart at the same time. Uh, good place to resume, okay, though, so okay? I'll try to call you next week, and uh, I hope you will answer me again. I, I, if, uh, God willing that I'm hearing you call, I will answer you with joy. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, happy Purim and Shabbat Shalom. Yes, yes, happy Purim and Shabbat Shalom. All right, friends, I'm going to make an exception because normally we don't let someone call consecutive weeks to be fair to other callers. But if Amichai calls again next week, I'm going to do my best to take his call. And I think you understand why. What, a, what an excellent conversation. I hope you were able to follow that. And what a fair-minded conversation as well. All right, uh, Bryson in Georgia, thank you so much for holding. And welcome to the line of fire. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. Um, uh, I really appreciate the show. I usually uh, listen to it all. Uh, at night when I'm working the podcast listener, but I had a question and um, I just wanted to, you know, get your view on it. The, the other day I was watching um, with my son, we was watching the mummy, right? And, uh-huh. um, and, and as we the, the old, the, the old movie, one with Boris Karloff or the new one? No, the, the old one, uh, not, not the real old one. I think it's Brandon something. Uh, Oh, okay. the guy's name to make. Oh, so it's a more recent oh. one. It's 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 not black and white. It's color and okay, got it. All clear. Yeah, it was like in the late nineties or early two thousands or something like okay. that. Okay, yeah, that's more, that's more new to powerful. me. That's new to me. Yeah, go <laughs> ahead. <laughs> so we're watching it, right? And then I'm seeing the uh the mummy guy get uh, you know, they, they take him, they wrap him in linen, and then they, they put him in the tomb uh or, or whatever for like hopefully he doesn't resurrect or whatever. 
and I'm sitting there with my son and, and we looking at it and I and I just I don't know why, but I just thought about John nineteen, about Jesus, you know, going into the tomb, they wrapped him in the linen, and then later on they find the linen not there. I mean I'm finding his body not there, but they find the linen. And I and it made me think, I was like, did the Egyptians know something and maybe corrupted it? Maybe God may have gave them a a sort of a hope. But then, you know, maybe down the line, you know how traditions start good, but then they get corrupted, you know. And, and I know that the Israelites were slaves in Egypt, and maybe some of their funeral customs are maybe just the same. Or whatever. It, it just kind of struck me that the Egyptians were thinking resurrection. And then with the linen cloth and the tomb, I don't know, it just all came together. And I was like, I'll just ask Dr. Brown. I'll have some time out in No, and Br- Bryce, I, I love the question. And in the history of the broadcast, I think this is the first to ask to ask if there are parallels with, uh, with, with the mummy and the death and resurrection of Jesus. No, all, all it would be, sir, would be uh, embalming processes in ancient Egypt and, and then later embalming processes. They were different. They were absolutely different in terms of Egyptian embalming processes versus uh, the way someone would be put in the tomb. And, and, and it's a different type of embalming. So I, I think what it is is because of your focus on the gospel, you were struck by something. It, all it is is that somebody was buried and somebody came back to life. Hence, there are going to be some parallels. But beyond that, no, I, 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 wouldn't, I wouldn't dig any deeper or, or find specific significance in it. And again, overall, from my understanding, the embalming process in ancient Egypt was something very different from the way a, a Jew would be entombed uh, centuries later. So, but I appreciate the question, man, very much. <laughs> All right. All right. Yep. Thanks. All right. Eight six six three four truth By the way, I, I just looked up at our YouTube feed. Judah, um, I just spotted you. I have no idea who you are, but you say I'm a heretical fraud. Thanks, buddy. Here's what you do. All right. Here's what you do, Judah. Give us a call and enlighten the whole world because the YouTube chat goes by very fast and, and I'm not able to respond to it during the show. But give us a call. All right. I will make room for Judah Byersdorf, who says that Dr. Brown is a heretical fraud. By all means, explain why I'm a heretic and then please, how I'm a fraud. I'd love to enlighten us. All right. I'm looking at the phone lines right now. 866-34-TRUTH. Where is that call from Judah? You're watching live. By the way, this stuff blesses me. I, I just want you to know that the, the lies, the slander, the disparaging comments encourage us that we're on the right track. So I, legitimately, I feel bad for Judah. And, and may the Lord grant you grace and, and truth to see. But you want to call? Phone lines are open. 866-34-TRUTH. All right. And yeah, tell you what, let's just put up on the screen. Thanks, Kai, for reminding me. Uh, Donald Trump has tweeted something out uh, very significant. After 52 years, it is time for the United States to fully recognize Israel's sovereignty over the Golan Heights, which is of critical strategic and security importance to the state of Israel and regional stability. I, I can't believe it's taken this much time legitimately that it's taken this much time for us to do that. President Trump's exactly right after 52 years. Absolutely. And some might say, well, it's all political. Hey, I'm glad he's doing it. I'm glad he's doing it. I'm glad he's saying it. Kudos to the president for that. 
All right, let's uh, let's go to Brian in California. Time is short, sir, so dive right in. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. I uh, appreciate you uh, allowing me to pull in. You're a blessing to the body of Christ, and uh, basically my, my question has to do with your belief in connection with the Jewish festivals within times. So I just got done uh, with the first part of your book, and I'm reading with an open heart and open mind. I am a pre uh, trib uh, stance as of right now, uh, but yeah. I'm open. Uh, and so what is your thoughts when it comes to Jesus fulfilling Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, and Pentecost, and then the next three are yet to be fulfilled? Exactly. Uh, 100%. Yes, 100%. And, and thanks for reading with an open heart. I've got to jump in to answer your question. 100%. Uh, all of us that I know that teach and preach post-trib believe that Jesus Yeshua comes back in fulfillment of the Feast of Trumpets. All right, now remember the original ones were as they happened, meaning that the days were literal days. If there was 50 days between Passover and Pentecost, there was literally 50 days between the, the death and resurrection of Jesus and Pentecost, all right? 50 days from that to Shavuot, Feast of Weeks. So yes, Yeshua returns, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 Corinthians 15, Matthew 24, Revelation 11. He comes with the sound of the trumpet, the last trumpet, that fulfills the Feast of Trumpets. That then leads to the deep repentance of the nation of Israel, leading to then what's 10 days later, Day of Atonement. So Zechariah 12, the Lord's coming in the clouds, Israel turning in repentance. 13th chapter, atonement, cleansing for Israel. And then 14th chapter, Zechariah, Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, the ingathering of the survivors of the nations that attacked Jerusalem coming in exactly we believe in it. The rest of the calendar is still to be fulfilled. Out of time. 